This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Yes, it is the end of the year. Saturday night, no doubt many of you will be singing Old Lang Syne. Those of you who know the words, actually, maybe not that many of you, but uh, it's a pretty good tune, and you know, this really wasn't that bad of a year either. We have cause to believe that 2012 may be an epic year, however, so we are looking forward to the coming new year. Traditionally on this program, we like to look back at the year that has transpired, I have to confess to always being a bit uneasy at at the new year because another year has passed. And there are so many things I'd like to do while I'm here on this planet that I, in some cases, haven't gotten to. Not that I'm complaining, dear listener. Were I to be struck by lightning tomorrow, I certainly couldn't complain that I have not had the chance to do some cool things and have not, in fact, been able to do some cool things. Among them, of course, would be hosting this very radio program. It's been my great pleasure to do so for the past, good Lord, nine years? Well, well past nine and a half. Actually, we will be celebrating our 500th program sometime next month. We're going to do what we can to make that one a special event. I can still remember our 100th program, and I'm sure you do as well, Mr. McMillan. Our theme of that program was the late Great Edward R. Murrow, we were privileged to be joined by Bob Edwards of National Public Radio, who had recently written a book about the legendary Ed Murrow. And um, we put a call into Washington, D.C., and spoke with Daniel Shore, then also uh, an NPR correspondent, sort of their news analyst, emeritus, I guess you might say. He was one of the very last people hired by Ed Murrow in, in the late 1950s. And I must say, talking to both those uh, uh, famous people about an even more famous person and, and that famous person's contributions to, uh, to journalism, something that inspired the two guests we had on the program, well, it just doesn't get much better than that. In fact, I'm realizing the pressure's kind of on for show number 500, isn't it? Well, we'll, we'll see what we can do. But first, we have to deal with today's program, which will be uh, in part a look back at 2011 and a part, uh, I guess you'd say, whatever we damn well please, which is what we which is what we inevitably fall back upon when we're not talking about science, technology, history, politics, current events, etc. We admit that does make this program a little quirky, I guess you'd say, but uh, it does make it more fun, and, and so far in almost 10 years of being on this radio station, the complaints we've heard about our particular stylings are none. I know that may seem hard to believe, but it's true. Not to say we are above criticism. We're not. And I do want to sort of head this off at the past that, no, we're not suggesting if you have complaints, you should drop a line to info at radioparallax.com as much as we do value your letters. But we know one thing about we know one thing but we know one thing about you, dear listener. You're a pretty smart bunch because if you don't like what you're listening to, you tune into something else. 
And we're also fairly confident that you enjoy the stylings of Rob, Arnie, and Don in the morning. Chances are you're going to remain a faithful listener to them. Not that we're being critical of cackling inanities, as, as with so many things. We're looking again to hear from some old pals in this program, but before we get too often a detour, let's begin the program like we usually do with On This Date in History. The date in question today would be the 29th, 29th of December. It was on December 29th in the year 1675 that the English Parliament ordered that coffee houses be closed, citing them as hotbeds of malicious rumors and revolution. They made it sound like that was a bad thing. And it was on December 29th in 1845, six months after the Congress of the Republic of Texas accepted U.S. annexation of the territory, that the state of Texas got admitted in the United States as our 28th state. Debate continues as to whether Texas may be the worst state of the Union. And we're not taking sides on that one, frankly, but we would like to point out that among... The persons you'll find on the famous Texans website would be Carl Rove, T. Boone Pickens Jr., Lee Harvey Oswald, H. Ross Perot, Lyndon Baines Johnson, former Senator Phil Graham, both George Bush and George W. Bush, Bank robber Clyde Barrow, child-beating actress Joan Crawford, goofball actor Larry Hagman, former CBS anchor Dan Rather, Owen, Clyde Barrow's cohort in crime, Bonnie Parker. Of course, we do want to be fair in Radio Parallax. We did conveniently leave out Walter Cronkite, Carol Burnett, Janis Joplin, Willie Nelson, Molly Ivins, Gene Roddenberry, and ZZ Top, all of whom we think are pretty cool. Oh, and the late dandy Don Meredith. We liked him also. Continuing along with On This Date in History, which is December 29th, as you'll recall. On that date in 1852, in violation of a law in Boston, Massachusetts, Emma Snodgrass was arrested for wearing pants in public. This one surprises me. Ten years later on this date, December 29th, 1862, The bowling ball was invented in the United States. I presume that they had large balls before that, but that no one thought to drill the holes in them. Uh, That's my guess. And finally, on December 29th in 1950, trusts and would-be monopolies were put on notice as the Seller-Kefauver Anti-Merger Act, described as a potent piece of antitrust legislation, made its way into the law books. Legislation was designed to help staunch monopolistic mergers and acquisitions, as well as rein in supersized corporations that threaten competition. And boy, that certainly has proven effective over the past 50 years, hasn't it? Let us move on. Our quote of the day comes from Noel Coward, who said, It's discouraging to think how many people are shocked by honesty and how few by deceit. My quip of the day comes from George Carlin, who said, The caterpillar does all the work, but the butterfly gets all the publicity. Our joke of the day comes from the Dave Barry calendar. We want to thank Elise for making that contribution to the show. And Elise, if you're listening, the same contribution will be welcome for 2012. Dave Barry, 
When I was taking piano lessons in 1956, our piano had thousands of keys stretching out for approximately a mile in either direction. And if I didn't hit exactly the right one, my piano teacher, Miss Ugly Old Bat, would make a federal case out of it. She'd stand over my shoulder and harangue me about the sharps and flats for an hour. In those days, a Saturday hour was the equivalent of 53 weekday hours. Until finally she'd give up and go outside to catch moths for dinner. Our stat of the day comes from an article, uh, a business article, about uh, former MF Global CEO John Corzine. I think I'll just quote from the article. Last week, Corzine defended the high-risk trades that led to the brokerage firm's collapse, and he claimed to be just as puzzled as regulators about how an estimated $1.2 billion went missing from customer accounts. Corzine told the Congressional Committee last week, I simply do not know where the money is. I believe you tried that argument, Mr. McMillan, haven't you? Uh, it, was, it was there a minute ago. Noted a piece in the New York Times, a review of his tenure suggests that Corzine was, at heart, a trader, willing to gamble for a rich payoff. What was his first public appearance since MF Global's bankruptcy on October 31st, the visibly tense former New Jersey governor, according to the Wall Street Journal, argued that what felled his firm was not the $6.3 billion bet on European debt, but, quote, a sudden lack of confidence in its balance sheet, unquote. You know, I think what we need about this time is, is Nathan Thurm, the slick-backed hairs, chain-smoking, nervous Martin Short character. If it was pointed out to him that $1.2 billion were missing, he would take a drag off his cigarette and say, don't you think I know that? In fact, can't you visualize Nathan Thurm answering this one? It wasn't our $6.3 billion bet. People just suddenly had a lack of confidence. You know, we have to stand with Occupy Wall Street. Why aren't these people in the slammer? And by the way, in expressing that opinion, it, like all opinions expressed in this program, do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the regents of the University of California. And we're pretty sure not the former board of directors at MF Global. And we do have a correction to offer up. As we said, we do make mistakes in this program. We just try and correct them. We try and be diligent about that. And in our discussing of the story about the silkscreen artists whose slogan, Eat More Kale, ran into some corporate difficulties, this correspondent mispronounced the name of the restaurant chain. It is not Chick-fil-A. It's Chick-fil-A, as in C-H-I-C-K-F-I-L-Capital-A. According to our letter writer, Sharon, this restaurant originated in the South, and there was apparently a morbid fear that <laughs> patrons would pronounce the restaurant Chick-Fillet if they spelled it F-I-L-E-T. Of course, this issue becomes complicated immediately when we investigate further. From what we can determine, fillet is a French word. However, most of our sources seem to indicate that fillet, in fact, is correct. But is that because that's the way they pronounce it over in Britain? We know the British don't like the French, and it may be they're pronouncing it fillet just to be annoying. Correcting us, Sharon informed us that the British are known to use the word café instead of café. We are shocked by this on Radio Parallax and request more information from other listeners. 
particularly you English majors. And by God, those of you who majored in English, we know people may mock you, Garrison, Keeler, and the like, but we genuinely need your help. In fact, we're going to see if we can't get Dr. Andy Jones to weigh in on this one. Dr. Andy Jones of Dr. Andy's Poetry and Technology Hour. Heard every Wednesday at 5 o'clock on KDVS. In fact, Dr. Andy would be a great guy to look back at the preceding year with. We'll see what we can do in the next segment. But before we run out of the first segment, we probably better get around to doing the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, that a friend of radio hosts everywhere, it was a good week for the French. A few weeks back, after Congress lifted a five-year ban on slaughtering horses for meat in the United States, a study found that live horses were simply being exported to slaughterhouses abroad where horse meat is considered a delicacy, whether in fillet or fillet form. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for Pastor Greg Bautel of Fort Worth, Texas, whose Hyundai reportedly was badly damaged when a city streetlight fell on it. When the Reverend contacted Fort Worth officials for compensation for the $2,000 in damage he sustained, he was told it was an act of God. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for America's disgrace of a legal system in the wake of a jury ordering a baseball bat company to pay $951,000 to a high school pitcher who was hit in the face by a line drive. Lawyers for pitcher Dylan Yeaman argued that the hitter's aluminum bat had a design defect, namely that the ball came off it too quickly and should have had a label warning of the, quote, known risk of grave harm, unquote, to anyone hit by a fast-moving baseball. And you wonder why we are the laughingstock of the world when it comes to lawsuits. Of course, given our court's laissez-faire attitude about this, no matter what, no matter how lunk-headed a lawsuit you file, if you lose, no penalty. Other nations do not maintain such a liberal attitude. Other nations have fewer boneheaded lawsuits. Do you think there's a connection? All right, from the miscellaneous file, here's one item we, we simply cannot resist. According to Bloomberg Businessweek, three out of four email messages sent today are spam. Much of it viruses or cash requests from scammers. But some messages are from companies that sell real goods, mostly prescription drugs. To better understand the spam business, a team of California researchers tracked billions of spam messages and made more than 200 random buys. They found that a surprising 91% of purchases were ultimately delivered. More than half of U.S. spam purchases are for knockoff Viagra, which can sell for just $3 per 100 milligrams versus $20.70 retail. Although here's the part I like. Though often without any active ingredient. Hey, you can't say these retailers don't deliver. In a sense, 
The article noted that most spam links come from just a few Russian merchants who employ customer service reps to remind previous buyers to refill their drug orders. Said one researcher, apparently entirely missing the point of all this, they have better customer service than most real businesses. We have to respectfully disagree. In our opinion, most real businesses tend to deliver the genuine article that you bought or think you're buying. It seems to us that not having the active ingredient in the pill that you are receiving in the mail, I mean, it really shouldn't get you an attaboy in the customer service department. And uh, I can't tell you in the real world of medicine how many patients I've seen who have bought this knockoff Viagra and to their surprise found it didn't work. And of course, one of the key questions in the workup is, have you tried Viagra? That's part A. Part B is, how well did it work? And yes, I just usually make the assumption if they bought it on the internet, it's bogus. We don't know whether it worked. Everywhere I go, I get slandered. Take a break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We got lots of stuff to talk about. Do not go away. Just try to keep my customers satisfied. Satisfied. Every sheriff said to me, Tell me what you come here for. Boy, you better get your bags and flee. You're in trouble, boy, and now you're heading into war. Everywhere 